Welcome back to the Reapcast. I know it's been a bit, and it's been like two, three, maybe four weeks since the last episode, but hey, um, we're back. Um, we kind of had a sabbatical, um, you know, job stuff, family, uh, things like that, as well as, um, you know, changing my diet. Uh, I went keto, um, lost a, quite a bit of weight so far and on that track, so kind of took a step back and just focused on health and things of that nature and family, but we're back with a great lineup of episodes, um, like tonight. Uh, tonight, we're talking about the homeless population in Texas and America, and it's just pretty much all over to some degree, um, and kind of some falsehoods that people believe and whatnot, and uh, we're going to dive into those. And so tonight, I have a... Uh, uh, a guy who I actually look up to a lot, um, and someone I've known quite a while, um, who's been there for me and my family through thick and thin. Um, it's my brother-in-law, um, Thomas Britton, and uh, it's a, it's an <laughs> honor to have you on the show, bud. Um, oh, thanks, man. About this issue, and so uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, one where you're at now, and how long you were part of the homeless outreach in Fort Worth, Texas. Well, sure, yeah. Uh, okay, say that again. Uh, where where I'm at now, and then how long I was with the uh, street outreach? Yeah, just just whichever. Sure. Uh, so now I work for <clears throat> I work for BitFocus, who produces uh, Clarity software. Uh, they're a, um, the software is meant to help homeless service providers, uh, track all the information that HUD requires, uh, them to track, uh, providing homeless services. Um, and in turn, HUD usually funds those, those agencies, those services. Um, so anyways, we produce the software that the, uh, you know, customers, uh, people that provide those homeless services would use. Right. Um, I, I am a data analyst, so okay. I'm, uh, I think my title is senior data analyst. Um, Ooh, fancy. So, yeah, I look at numbers <laughs> all day long uh, is what I do now. Uh, very different from where I come from. Uh, before this, I was uh, in what we call a COC. So COC stands for continuum of care. Um, a continuum of care is a collection of agencies. So usually a county or a couple of counties will have these agencies that come together uh, that all serve the homeless, and when they come together to provide services, uh, unify, um, that's referred to as a continuum of care, uh, or continui of care, uh, if you want the plural. Um, anyways, so I worked in the continuum of care in Tarrant County, um, some of Parker County, <clears throat> as a street outreach specialist, and uh, I had a pretty niche job. Um, what I would do was I would go out and I would try to engage people with severe mental health issues. So if you're driving through downtown and you see someone that is screaming to unknown gods that they think are there, um, 
my job was to go out and try to engage those individuals in a meaningful way and help them into services that would now hopefully get them housed. So I did that for a while. So from 2012 to 2016. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So you were you were pretty much like you said tasked with going out and really getting in the thick of it. You weren't just someone who sat there and and I guess pushed the papers, saw the people come in the office. You were in the thick of it. Yeah. So so what was that so, li- what was that like? I, I guess or we're probably going the same way. What was that like in, was in the thick of it all? <laughs> um, you can tell my excitement. I uh, I loved that part of the job. Um, it was very action oriented. Uh, so I never knew what was going to happen in my day. You know, I would, um, I, you know, there were days where I've been attacked, I've witnessed, you know, rapes. I've walked through, you know, meth camps or cooking meth. I've seen people have heart attacks. I was, uh, I was the caller on 911 for over 41 um, <clears throat> mental health crises that uh, led to hospitalization, meaning that someone was thinking about killing themselves and were able to get them connected to uh, the local hospital to try and prevent that. Um, just never knew what was going to happen. Um, and then trying to, you know, form that into some kind of job where, you know, ultimately uh, somebody's got to pay your salary to do that. Wow, that's that's awesome. Um, that's terrifying and awesome all at the same time, I guess. Um, and, and I mean, I guess that does take a toll though, also being out there in that, like emotionally and it, well, like you said, you were attacked. So physically for sure. Um, in that, um, and, and whatnot, but, um, it is really reassuring that there are people or were people like you out on the streets who are zealous about these people, not just as like a number or I know HUD does a lot of stuff. So it's not just a, you know, another thing to get more funding or whatnot, but really cares for those people. Like that's, to me, that's okay. big um, because we're, we're in the society and range and just culture right now where you're either a number or a reason or a project, you know, you're not just you and people just caring for you is such a rare trait. And I, I really commend that about you, even through all the years I've known you. Uh, just seeing your your care for those people who you really don't know from Adam, you know that's that's really 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 cool. Well, no, I appreciate that, but I I really like what you said there about the the care, um, and it you know what I kept hearing in that was sincerity, and I think you know if I had to um, encourage anyone when they are engaging someone who is homeless, be sincere, absolutely be sincere. If they smell, don't pretend like they don't. Um, I mean, because what it comes down to is people know the situation they're in. They're right. looking for someone who will tell them the truth, but cares anyways. Right. Um, and that's the real, gen- that's the mix to being uh, helpful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. So I guess that kind of brings, um, even what you talked about, kind of to our first big question. Um of, of the show and uh, really what is the most harmful stigma uh, that um, that perpetrates the community blah, blah, that prevent pretty much prevents the community um, 
from being able to move forward and get care for themselves? Like, what is the biggest stigma out there that just stops people from being able to do that? And I know that's a big question. There's a lot of moving parts to that. But let's break that down and just kind of go through what what we're looking at here. Sure. So I think the biggest one, kind of the, the elephant in the room, um, the one that I, I mean, I was literally asked this question two days ago, <clears throat> you know, why, why don't people just get jobs? <laughs> why don't they just, you know, get a place to live? Um, or the, the bigger one is, uh, they don't, you know, homeless don't need a place to live. I've seen them. They're begging down there on the corner, making lots of money. Wow. So I think the, the first, uh, stigma that if I could, uh, dress that we could fix would be um there is a big difference between a panhandler and someone who is homeless how so um, so a panhandler and I'll, I'll you know go into the definitions here a little bit a panhandler is not just someone who asks for money on the street corner it's someone who walks you up to you in a supermarket and asks you for money or you know i've seen a guy carrying around a gas can and people would stop and ask him if he needs help. He would say no, but do you have some spare change for gas? Who's going to say no? Right. So they give him money. He then pops the top of the gas can and puts the money in there. And he'd do that all day long. And so a panhandler is someone that is, is getting money. You know, the thing about panhandling, though, is that it is much stronger. Uh, there's a much stronger correlation between panhandling and substance abuse disorders than there is panhandling and uh, homelessness. Okay, okay. So what that means is most of the people that you see that are on the street corner that says, you know, they've got the little cardboard sign that says, I'm homeless, anything helps. That person is most likely living in a halfway house or some kind of low-end apartment, um, and they have a substance abuse disorder. That's the reality. Okay. Now, I'm going to come back around to this if we get time, because I still believe those individuals need help, but they don't need house. They need rehab. Right. And so it's a different, different type of service. Now, unfortunately, the reason that uh, I bring up panhandling is that panhandlers are the face of homelessness. When you're driving right. down the street, you don't see the 2,000 people that are living in the shelter that are out looking for jobs right now, you see the person that is on the street corner asking for money. So uh, we, you know, the homelessness in the United States has a stigma that everybody just wants your money and can't get a job. Right. And that's not true. So backing this up with data a little bit, uh, I can't go into a lot of the details out of, uh, you know, the respect for our customers, but I can right. tell you, was working in uh, Tarrant County, there were about 6,000 individuals that experienced homelessness um, in Tarrant County within a year. Now, they uh, usually people would get out of the homeless system within four months. Um, make sure I've got the math right there. And what do you mean by get out of the homeless system? Yeah. So get housing. Um, most people who are homeless... Um, they fall into this category of they're down on their luck. They had a bad thing happen. They had a divorce that went wrong and they lost their place to live. Uh, their spouse died and they couldn't make money to keep their 
place. Right. Usually it's a bad life of them. Down on their luck. They don't have any other family. So they go into the homeless system, but they're able to work. They don't have a disability. They're okay. So usually that individual um, is able to get out of the homeless system pretty fast. There's another type of uh, individual system. Uh, someone referred to as chronically homeless. Okay. Very definition. Uh, HUD defines it as an individual with a disability. So it has to be a disability, self-reported. Okay. And has to have been homeless for a year. So that individual, um, by looking at all the data, stays in the homeless system for years and years. Um, because it, usually it's the disability that's keeping them from so, right. Kind of all over the place here, but what I'm trying to bring it back to is that um, most in, in Tarrant County where I worked, there were about 6,000 individuals that were homeless at any given time. Only about one, uh, I would say less than that, probably about 10% of the individuals lived outside and would actively panhandle. Okay. Okay. You're talking about, you know, Five or six hundred individuals across Tarrant County representing, being the face of, um, you know, all these other d individuals that are uh, living out of the shelter, trying to find jobs during the day, or working programs, or you know, seeking rehab, or engaging. Right. So, coming back to answer your question, I think that's the first stigma that I would start with is people. I I believe that people do not choose to be homeless. There's nobody right. that says, I want to be homeless. I, I worked with lots of individuals that are homeless. I've never met any of them that I <laughs> that have told me they want. Yeah, none of them were like, hey, I'm living the dream. You know, I sleep in a box under the bridge. Like, that wasn't the plan, you know. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hear yeah. that a lot, too, especially in, I, I guess, the uneducated side of people that don't really know about this issue. Um, because like growing up, I was taught, you know, never give them money. They're just going to use it for drugs. Uh, never do this, never do this, never do this. Um, and some of it was good. Some of it was bad, you know, like, Hey, be on your toes. They, you know, they might be a little off, you know, if you are going to help, you know, and that, that there is some truth to that. Even from what you said, just be gentle and kind, you know, don't get squirrely yeah. around them, but that's good rules for anyone, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so yeah, that's that's so weird that that people have that thought though that like oh they're homeless because they want to be like I I I don't know that's just so absurd to think people can think that way you know um, now I think so now do you do you find that comes from anything where that stigma kind of came from is it just yeah. this upper echelon or is it where did that come from um, I really think that it is a uh... <laughs> I'll get poetic here a second. I think it is a de-evolution <laughs> of the American dream. The American dream being that I want to make something out of myself before my family, right? And all I have to do is work hard enough and believe hard enough, and that's going to happen. And I think that we as America sell that really well. And um, when you have a physical disability, you're missing legs, and you also have an intellectual disability, so you're twice disadvantaged. Right. Um, that American dream probably isn't going to be your reality, um, not without a heck of a lot more work. So 
I think that what we really want to believe about everybody in our society is that if they just believed enough and they worked harder, that anyone could have that. And unfortunately, that's not what I have seen. Um, yeah. Man, that's that's good stuff right there. Um, I mean, well, that's that's promo for this episode. Um, yeah. For sure. Uh, but no, that was incredibly eloquently put that, 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 that is the hamster wheel we are stuck in is that if I just do this, this can happen and that nothing bad's going to happen. And if it does, I can just crawl right back out. Right. Um, I mean that, that is, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm living, you know, work hard, get paid and go home hopefully. Um, right. you know, um, and it does get monotonous, um, so one question I had, how many, if you have this number, and I, I know this might be a classified number due to certain things, um, but but the the population as, as a whole, at least in our area, how many suffer yeah. from a mental illness, roughly? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of different, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I, I used to um, quote a number that was wrong, so I'm being very <laughs> careful. Uh, my former boss corrected me and I, I had to eat some crow. Um, <laughs> so most of the research that I've seen, uh, says that about a quarter of individuals have a severe mental illness. So that's one out of four, 25%. Oh, wow. Now what we have to be careful about there is the definition of a severe mental illness. That is usually a, a mental health issue that is impairing your ability to function um, to the point that you can obtain a substantially gainful active employment. Okay. So those are very specific definitions that come from the Social Security Administration's um, definition of what a disability is. That's what they use to decide whether or not you can receive disability. Okay. Okay. So a severe mental illness usually in the state of Texas is someone with uh, diagnosis of bipolar. Okay. Um, major depression with psychotic features or schizophrenia. Um, and I should clarify there. Uh, so you can have one of those be, uh, you know, receive treatment and then achieve substantial gainful activity. So just because you have a mental health issue does not mean you qualify for money <laughs> from the government. Right. Right. Just got to be, clear about that. It just means that you, you have something that you have to deal with. So about a, uh, a quarter one, um, you know, from the, the perspective I saw, uh, a lot of individuals. Um, so I, uh, I worked for, uh, the local mental health authority. Um, and my job, like I said, was to engage the individuals with the severest of the mental health issues. Um, <clears throat> There are some really sad stories out there because there's right. individuals that have the right to refuse medication, but they do not have the mental faculties um, to, I believe, ever get to the position where they can choose medication that would help them. Okay, but that's a you get me on that soapbox, and that can last a, a long time. Well, I mean, that's 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 what we're here for, though, because I mean, it does seem like there is a good number of these people who, who do suffer from something. Um, I mean, if, if we look at the average number of an American citizen, housed or whatever, 
most Americans suffer from depression, um, anxiety, and other things that, that are debilitating. Um, yeah. You know, from suffering from social anxiety and other forms of anxiety myself, at times it has been very debilitating to where I don't want to do anything just because it's so bad. And I, right. I, but I, and I have had help. I'm, you know, I've taken meds. I've done all this stuff and through therapy. So I know for me, I have the tools to be able to combat that. Right. But I know people who, who one, don't even have a place to live and are suffering from these are so much against the odds because when mental illness is left unchecked, it, uh, I know it, it, it kind of stacks and grows new weight patterns in the brain and right. just keeps going and getting worse and worse and worse. So a small anxiety attack, let's say, becomes a massive one 10 years down the yes. road unchecked. You know, um, it, it's like, what is it? Uh, I had a, a psych tell me one time, it, it, he, he said, think of it as um, self-inflicted PTSD. Okay, he goes, because that's pretty much what you're doing. You're stressing your body. You're putting yourself through a traumatic thing over and over again. And so you're just going to build bad habits. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so do you see that in the homeless community where they've just left unchecked and unhelped? And so they were once like, uh, I, I know we have a lady here uh, in town. Um, and pretty much everyone in, in our town knows who she is um, because she she's the pretty... Uh, I'm fairly certain the only like street homeless person we have um, that's not yeah. just like a drifter through. Yeah, unsheltered. Um, and hers is not necessarily by choice. Um, she does suffer a mental illness, uh, schizophrenia. Um, she talks to people and does things and all sorts of stuff. Um, and she's an incredibly sweet lady when she was on meds and, and getting help and things like that. Um, and, uh, but like, it, it's gotten worse. Um, so this lady used to live at the apartment complex I worked at. And so basically I saw her in her good days. And then by about four years later now, uh, she is now, or two years later now, I'm sorry. Uh, she is now completely just given over to the beast almost, you know, if you yeah. want to say it that way, not to make that religious, that you know, mental illness is not a, a sin and whatever. Don't, don't, yes. get, me, don't, get, don't get me saying that crap. Um, it, it is a real thing. Um, you can't pray it away there um i'm not gonna get chewed out on twitter now um <laughs> so uh but yeah and, and so i've seen that in this small you know instance um right so have have you witnessed that yeah that uh so we so much here so give me a second um oh no you're good you're good there, there is a term amongst individuals who uh Serve the homeless. And I'm going to rabbit trail real quick. Uh, so you're good. you'll hear me say homeless quite a bit. And when you're working in homeless services, you're going to find, into, uh, you know, masters of social work, people that are very politically charged, um, really harp on you if you if you say homeless person, because right. they're not homeless person. They're a person who's experiencing homelessness. Right. Um, I try to stay away from that because I have not met anyone who has been homeless who cared so much about what I called them. They cared more about two things. One, am I for real? Am I a real person that's really telling them the truth? And two, do I want to help? So before I will, you know, choose what words to refer to an individual as, I'm going to make sure that I'm doing those two things. Okay. Right. Sorry. Just get that aside in case there's any social workers <laughs> out there that jump me and say, it's not, you know, homeless person. Okay. 
um, back to, you know, uh, into the, the lady that you've described. So amongst homeless service providers, <clears throat> there's a term, um, and it's not really just their term, but it's a term that they understand, um, and that's habituation. So when someone comes into uh, homelessness for the first time, they are scared poolless. It's a scary thing. It's a, it's beyond scary. It's traumatic. Right. 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 Yo, God, you yes. don't know where to go, what to do, who to talk to, who's going to kill you. You just, you're scared. Um, but unfortunately that fear begins to subside. You notice how I say, unfortunately, right. that fear is to subside the longer you're there and you, you get used to uh, eating at a shelter, you get used to being told where to go, etc. Um, so habituation can take many forms. One of those is that you get you get used to that park bench that you sleep on. You know where it is. That's home. You know that at four o'clock the train's going to go by, and that at six o'clock that police officer Joe is going to come by and wake you up, and that you know you can walk across the street and the donut store is going to give you a donut. Right. You begin to build uh, understanding in an environment. It um, it becomes easier to to live there. Uh, I by no way mean to imply that it is easy. Right. But easier than when you first get. So, uh, the habituation I think shows itself in many ways. Uh, one of them is that, and another is that. You know, you get used to doing the same thing every day. Why? You know, why go try these medications that the stranger told you is going to help you be a better person, right? Um, it's it just, I, I mean, I'm I'm perfectly fine. And, you know, if somebody knocked on my door and told me to come try some drugs, I, I can't say I'm going to leave my house to go do that. Uh, so very similar. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, pretty much you're equating it to to not being able to swim and someone just John Wayne-ing your ass into the water. Um, yeah. Where it's just you, it's complete terror. It's, 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 it's horrifying. I mean, that's, and, 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 and I do like what you said where it's not easier, but it gets easier because eventually you kind of learn to swim um, in shark infested waters. But I mean, you learn to swim at least um, and do what you got to do. Um, and, and I'm not going to say, and this, what I'm about to say is going to sound weird. Um, but that is, that is amazing though. Uh, and, and I'm rabbit holing a little bit, but, but that is amazing that we as humans have that adaptability, not to validate, um, uh, being, oh, I hear you. I hear being you. that way, um, without a home and, and, and being in that horrible, horrific situation, however they got there, however you got there. But like, that is still a really cool thing that we as humans are able to do that and adapt and learn and have to get by. And then be able to to hopefully possibly come out of that, you know, and and then to to be able to do that that is uh, to to me that is the epitome of adaptability. You know, people talk about in a yeah. job, can are you adaptable? I'm like, well, you know, I'm as adaptable as I'm comfortable with, <laughs> but you know, um, and so so yeah, that's. Man, that's that's insane. I don't know. That's there, there's a lot of rabbit holes that come off of that philosophy yeah. wise and understanding wise that I'm I'm intrigued by. But we would never stop talking if we followed the rest <laughs> of those. I wouldn't. Um. So, but I will. I will. And you know, just add on to 
that though, uh, because it, it very, it shadows my own perspective very well. You know, I tell people that when I went to work in homeless services, I did not know anything. I was scared to even talk to uh, someone experiencing homelessness. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I stayed because I fell in love with the people. And um, what I fell in love with was being able to see someone at their worst is an opportunity to see them perform things that you didn't even know humanity was possible of. You know, when I walked in to interview for my job in the homeless services, there was a I had to sit in the lobby and they, they do this. Like if you interview for a job in homeless services, they will make you sit amongst the, you know, the most um, looking for the politically correct term here, <laughs> uh, the ripest indiv uh, individual. Um, Bubba Ray, who hasn't showered in nine years. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they have you sit out there and wait for your interview because they're trying to see, are you going to be able to, are you going to be able to work with individuals? Anyways, right. so I sat there and a lady who probably, you know, didn't have 50 cents to her name, uh, leaned over and she's like, you want some Fritos? I'm like, no, no, I don't, I don't know. Are you talking to me? <laughs> uh, but it's always stuck in my head is that, uh, you know, you, you know, we talk about doing stuff for people nowadays and if you have a job and you have a house and you have a family and you have a security and, you know, somebody comes up and asks you, you know, your, your um, brother or something asks you for $50, it's no big deal. Right. It's just not. Right. You got it. But you ask someone who's experiencing homelessness for, you know, 50 cents and they're like, man, <laughs> all right. You know, and they give it to you or they share their, you know, whatever their blanket or something. Those are those are real sacrifices for the, uh, those individuals, uh, but they still do it. You see it down there. So, what I'm trying to say is that yeah, you're exactly right. Is that there's there are some beautiful parts of uh, humanity that come out in homeless services. Yeah, and that's that's incredible. Um, I mean, that's that's rather mind blowing because like if I was homeless, I, I don't see myself being anything but just a major asshole. Like, like personally, because I'm just going to be pissed about the whole thing because um, I'm going to be mad at myself. Like, like I just don't see me being a good person. Um, and to hear you talk about this lady who is sharing a meal she might not get again for a while. Yeah. That's that's something I don't think I know if I have, you know, um, worrying about the next bill and things like that. And, and, and that's beautiful. Um, that shows that that, again, humanity is not lost and. The people who have the least are by far the probably some of the best people in our society. Yep. You know, and that's and that's incredible. Um and so so yeah, so that leads us, I, I guess, kind of to unless there's another stigma you want to tackle, um, besides the ones we have that you feel is is really, really big. I mean, there's there's so many, but <laughs> yeah, uh the panhandler that you see does not represent the homeless population. They represent most likely, they represent the substance abuse disorder uh, population. And I would still request when you see that individual, know they need help. They do need help. But they don't need your money. Right. Give them money. They need something else. Right, right. And um, quickly the thing with that. So we were, um, me and my family, we went to San Antonio for vacation. And uh, and I'm going to say this, it was it was a shock for us because we were downtown San Antonio and um, San Antonio is inundated with underpaid, 
underhoused and homeless or um and and so basically it, it was a shock for us for that to be all around because we're we're not used to that we're used to like drifters coming through type of thing you know and stuff like that in the t- small town we're in and so it was a real shock for us just to kind of watch and observe um at first it like kind of like you said uh um it was it was scary at first because the stigmas pop in first because that's mm-hmm. the culture um but once those went away um so we went to the alamo all, all that to say we went to the alamo and i was paying for parking uh with with julia and and uh, sister-in-law had the girls um, in her car, so they were already at the Alamo kind of walking around. And so we were getting ours. And um, this gentleman approached, um, and he he smelled. Um, I, I smelled him coming. Um, and he was asking for money. And so I popped back real quick. I go, what do you want? He goes, dude, I want to eat. And so I'm like, how about this? How about that? Let's go get food now. And he goes, dude, we're downtown. You want to pay 40 bucks for something? I said, I don't care. And he's like, dude, let's go walk then. And the moment he said and agreed to walk with me to get food, yeah, I, I was done. I'm like, here, here's money. Uh, I, because for me, he was willing to, to go and, and go get food, which yeah. for me meant he was serious. He just wants a meal. Um, you know, because for me, most people who who I have interacted with in that way um, in the smaller towns, it's been like, uh, I just want your cash. Right. You know, and, and then that's kind of fits into kind of what you say right there of, of that substance abuse. I just need your money, you know, um, you know, cause we do give gas as much as we can to people who want it and, you right. know, and, and do things because we want to take them and give them that. And I will then give them more money because to me, that's the clear sign of they're actually in need. Right. Um, because they're, they're willing to do that and they don't care about the money. They just care about, can I get clothes? Can I get whatever? <laughs> um, yeah. and it was really, I don't know. It was really, I, I felt bad about myself for judging, uh, people like him when we first got there, like that remorse yeah. set in of like, damn, I'm like, that sucks. You know, um, you know, I would want the same thing if, if I was in that shoot and yeah. needed a meal and I didn't eat, um, so, so yeah, so it's definitely something, something that, that kind of led us to this for one, um, is that I, I guess our hearts got turned and, and shaped and kind of got broken for the, um, that community, um, that people right. group that is, unfortunately looks like it's growing more than it's shrinking right now. Um, yes. yep. And, uh, you know, a lot of people bring up veterans that that's the big cause when it's, it's everyone, it's not just veterans. I mean, we have farmers, I know, um, you know, becoming homeless because of a bunch of things. Um, we have everyone because of job, um, because of race, unfortunately, um, because of a lot of things. Um, but with that, what is, what is the one thing? stopping someone who's in that thing or not, or not stopping, but what is, what prevents them the most from getting care or going to someone like, like you in your, in your last line of work of being in the field, what prevents them the most either from in the community, from outside the community? Um, you know, uh, is it race? Is it stigmas against the other side coming from that community out or 
or what is that? Let's let's break that down a little bit. Yeah, let's. Uh, uh, so I'll start at like a high level and just say, <laughs> um, you know, pan, panhandling. I think you know, going back to what we've already talked about, right? The misconception of what homelessness is is uh, is is tough. It's tough on the homeless community. Um, <clears throat> Uh, but I think that to say that there's this one specific thing that is needed in homeless services to really get people, you know, housed more effectively, that's tough. Um, what I will say is that it's better to think of homeless services as a um, – <laughs> hate to use the analogy, but an assembly line, right? That's fair. That's fair. And when somebody – okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm – very, I love, <laughs> I love people, but at the same time, I'm a data analyst, so not always the. <laughs> um, somebody comes in the homeless services, they start on that assembly line. That means that the first thing they're going to do is they're going to probably find a shelter, then they're going to find food, then they're going to try to get connected to a case manager, then they're going to try to address whatever needs they have, whether that be look for a job or get medication, and then after that, they're going to apply for a housing subsidy through the government. Um, they're going to wait to hear from that while they, you know, hopefully you're keep working this job and taking their meds. Um, and then once they, you know, do get that housing subsidy, that's just a short period of time. It's usually less than a year, uh, that will help them pay rent. Um, and that is just a jump start back into housing is what we call it. You know, a jump start back into housing. Um, so that whole process can take someone, uh, I got to be careful because it gets real political. Right. Uh, but it can take them a while. Right. So you, you are doing great. If you have no job and no disabilities, you are doing great to get out of uh, homelessness in under three months. Oh, wow. Um, I used to, used to tell people uh, getting getting out of homeless services is like having a baby. Now, I've never had a baby, but just from my, what my wife said, right, uh, right. <laughs> it's very, very painful. It's very painful. You got to put up with a lot of crap. Um, but after about eight, nine months, uh, let's, let's hope it's, you know, nine or more months, uh, then you, you finally get a payoff and you, you get out. Um, so I bring all, or I say all this to say, you know, if you think of it as kind of like the system that people go through and that's why we call it the continuum of care, right. uh, there are bottles at specific points that really slow down people. And if we could just address those bottlenecks, we could get people out of there. Uh, our, our goal, uh, a lot of the, the communities that I work with, the goal is to get people out in less than 90 days, regardless of who you are. You know, right. we've got you housed in 90 days. Um, would be like their dream goal is 30 days or less, but 90 days. Okay, so... Some of the pain points are getting connected to a case manager. That can take two weeks. Uh, so not enough, not enough case managers in homeless services uh, because there's not enough money to pay for them, right? Because anybody wants to fund a building. Like you talk to the city, they'll love to fund a building because they can see it exist. Right. Right. If it push comes to shove, they can sell it, make the money. But paying for a staff, eh, right? Uh, so lack of staff, you know, um, staff are way underpaid. I'll tell you that across most of the places that provide, um, you know, services like I provided, they are, uh, they're within the poverty line themselves. Oh, like wow. They're, yeah. They can't take care of themselves. 
So you've got people that can't take care of themselves financially taking care of people that have nothing. So yeah, like that. Um, so another pain point is uh, not enough affordable housing. And this is probably the biggest bottleneck. Um, we yell at slumlords. I love slumlords. You were like, Thomas, what the heck are you doing? I love slumlords <laughs> because they're the only people that will house um, some of the people that I worked with. And, you know, after a year of trying to get someone housed that is living literally outside, right? yeah, I'll take the crummy place over no place. <laughs> right. Uh, so we need more affordable housing, not, not just here across the nation. This is something that I, I feel very comfortable working with customers all across the nation, but this is an issue everywhere. Not enough affordable housing. Um, and I'm not the first one to say it. I'm probably one of the, you know, on the tail end of the bandwagon here. So that's another one. One that you can do something about, you uh, listener, um, go to your shelter, find out about apartment application fees. So how it works is when someone who is in a shelter applies for a housing subsidy, they still have to do certain things on their own. Certain things will not be paid for. And one of them is, Apartment application fees. Often that's thirty dollars. Or more. And I've seen people sit in homelessness. Or more, yeah. I've seen it up a lot more than that. But I've seen people sit in homelessness for several months because they don't have enough money. Or worse, they have, you know, they get somebody to pay for one, but that apartment doesn't accept them. And now they gotta go pay for them. Okay. Yeah, so those are some of the pain points I see. Things I'd rather not see people do. Don't, don't go down to the homeless community and just hand out food. Um, and that may seem really cruel, but the shelters provide food. And I'm talking about big cities, not rural right. communities. If you're in a rural community, yeah, do that. <laughs> um, but where there's a shelter, they're, they're going to feed people. What those people probably need are business clothes to be out looking for a job. Someone that would be willing to give them a ride to an interview. Right. Right. Um, something along those, but just going up and popping up your, your, your trunk and handing out food. If you do want to help with food, what you can do is connect with your churches, uh, that are already connected in the homeless services. Um, people who, when they finally get out of homelessness and go into housing have nothing. They don't, they don't have friends and family bringing over food. They don't have anything. So, uh, often they need the bear snatchers. I had a lady that I put into her apartment. She, I helped her get a whole bunch of food, but she would take the bus every day about 15 miles back to the shelter and eat because she didn't have a can opener to open <laughs> like food. So if you want to help out with food, you, you help people that have just come out of homelessness. Right. Uh, but yeah, those are just some off the top of my head. There's there's lots more. Um, yeah. Uh, one overall uh, a piece of advice, if you're looking to help individuals that are experiencing homelessness, don't go try to do it yourself because it is very tricky to do it right. Um, find someone who does it every day and ask them. You know, what are the needs in my community? How can I help in my community? Yeah. That's uh, so I, I'm not sure if I answer the question there, but those are some of the pain points and uh, issues that I, I wish we see addressed. Right. Um, oh, and if you want to address, 
with affordable housing, you go to your your uh, town hall meetings when they are trying to, you know, you've got NIMBY, you know, just for people that don't know what that is, it's not in my backyard. Um, and it's this idea that, yeah, we would love to be able to take um, poor people and put them into these housing units that are all close together. Um, that's a wonderful idea. We could subsidize the housing. You know, we could even build a little library in front of it so that they could learn and take classes. That's great. That's wonderful. Uh, but not my, like you, we can put that across town. <laughs> so we have, uh, you know, individuals that will come in <clears throat> when these, uh, you know, developers are trying to put in um, these units that will house individuals that are formerly homeless um, for fairly inexpensive. Uh, they'll try to, you know, build this building, um, usually an apartment complex, uh, but the neighborhood will kind of congregate together and they will go to the town hall and they'll be like, no, you're not putting that here. There'll be criminals there and ex-cons and drug addicts. And, and some of that's true, but they're working through that. And so, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things that if I could encourage people to address in your local community, you know, do that. Take a chance with someone who is, you know, royally screwed up their life. Um, and I will tell you, most of the time you are going to be disappointed. Don't get me wrong. I'm not lying to you. You will be disappointed. But only takes – get all teary-eyed. It only takes one or two times where someone really takes advantage of the opportunity that you give them to turn their life around. <clears throat> you, will, you will die happy uh, that you gave that person that opportunity. Um, because there's just, there's nothing like it. Uh, cause it's so rare for those individuals to experience that. So, yeah, I mean, those are some of the things that, uh, you know, I'll encourage people to, to try at home. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's good stuff. And that's stuff I didn't even know about. Um, I mean, g going and doing that and standing up for those rights really, um, because that's kind of all they have, um, are those places that are getting built to have them there, you know, um, to, to, to get a better foot into the world again. Um, right. But yeah, that's, I don't know, to, to me that rings with very much, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. That yeah. That's very it's... home in that verse to me, um, is that, that we were told to do that, that we were told to love unconditionally. Um, you know, mine and Julia's beef for a little bit has been certain churches will have programs. And I know you mentioned this a little bit, um, but especially in smaller rural towns where we don't really have a mass, um, population of people seeking shelter. Right. Um, yeah. you know, we, we, they're small. So a lot of their programs to help those people, um, that, that fall into that, you know, um, they come with a lot of stipulations in a way. Like they're very specific on yeah. what you're going to use the funds for very specific on like how, like it, it gets really weird, really quick. Um, and the only reason I know about this firsthand is me and Julia just fell behind, um, in between jobs and everything just hit. Um, and, yeah. uh, so I went to a church and I'm like, Hey, um, we need help. You know, we're, we're that's the first place I thought to go. I'm going to go seek the people of God. You know, I'm a fellow believer. So let, let's go talk to these people. And they were like, look, your bill's due tomorrow and it's going to get shut off in three days. 
you have to wait three weeks to get approved. Right. And it's yeah. like, that makes no damn sense. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you know, one and two do not make purple here. Where are you getting this from? And it literally took this one woman, and this goes exactly to what you said. This one woman literally looks in her purse, stands up, blocks the camera from the lobby that they had, and hands me the exact change, like the money out of her purse. Mm. Yeah. And goes, don't you tell a soul. And she yep. had to say that because she, she could lose her job because she just right. broke their protocol. And it hit me that one, these <laughs> yeah. people care, or at least this woman did, at least, at least her and probably the people that deal with the direct intake. Um, but their hands are so tied through this bureaucracy of the church, the religion side, not so much the faith, but the religion side, because she lived out her faith and, uh, and did, did what she felt moved to do by faith. And so, but the religion side of that stopped everything else. And, you know, yeah, we were right. fine. Uh, you know, we had other family members step in and all these other things happen. And we were okay with that net. But I know there's tons of people else that came behind me and before me in that line that they literally went without power. And then the amount they were asking for is no longer the amount they right. need. Um, and that was just heartbreaking as a, a, a Christian organization that we couldn't, that we don't. We put all these stipulations of love. Love has no stipulations. And if we were told to love, why are we stipulating how we love? When it's yep. as simple as going, take care of you and yours. If I never see you again, all I know is you're good. You know, like right. that, that's like, I get chills. Like that's it. You know, that, that right. is the epitome of how I want to teach my kids and, and everyone around me to be is just love. Um, regardless, and, and you said it just, it's going to hurt and it's going to, might put you in a spot, but, but guess what? You're still better off. Just do it. And you're going to die happy. Like those, yep. those are words th that, that I think people need to hear more of, um, that deep, true intimacy of being broken for another person, um, so much that, that we just, we do. Um, right. So. Yeah, I think that that's. Really well said. And, uh, you know, we'll have to have a conversation another time. But <laughs> one of the worst things you can do is try to um, <clears throat> try to win someone over for Christ while they're starving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you ever try to provide something for someone who's experiencing homelessness, don't preach at them while you do it. No. Don't. No. Yep. Just let the gift that you're giving them preach for itself. Mm hmm. Dude, I a hundred percent agree, man. Um, and and I guess I'll I'm gonna end with this. Christ never, Christ didn't feed the thousand, and then try to nail them to a wall. He fed them, got them fed, and then had a conversation. Um, yeah, he he didn't preach at him. He had a conversation. Um, and again, that's what I see you doing with with your stories um, of love and, and even ones we haven't talked about that we've talked about off off air here. Um, and, and again, I admire that. I don't, I don't think I'd be able to go into those after getting attacked. Like I, I, I get gun shy. I'm out, you know, um, witnessing all those things. Um, it, it takes a special person to do that. And uh, I, I'm incredibly humbled um, to be able to pick your brain on this. 
um, and, and get to be enlightened um, and encouraged that there is hope for this community. And it, it's, it's really up to us to help them and do these things, to go to our, yes. our city councils, to, um, you know, really love people that are the least of us um, and that are struggling the worst. Um, right. Um, so it, it's incredibly humbling. Um, thank you for being able to, to spend an hour with me and go over oh, this. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, like I said, it, it's a complete gift, and I, and I appreciate it so much. Um, but with that, um, all we can kind of do back from the Reapcast is what, uh, you know, uh, besides your main hustle, which you've talked about, you know, your day-to-day, what is that side hustle that you do um, that keeps you going? You know, are you a, a Facebook or Twitter <laughs> user? What? Where can people find you? No. On the web. Yeah. So one of the things that I have committed to is, uh, you know, I came out of home services and I do data stuff now. Um, the way I did that was I was I was seeing so many bad things in homeless services. You know, little girl, seventeen, nine months pregnant. You know, high on heroin under a bridge and it's one hundred and five outside. Right. Now, what do you, what do you do that with your brain when you go home and you're trying to unwind? So I got into robotics. Because <laughs> I was trying to fill my brain with something else, uh, and uh, that's how I got into the data portion. Um, anyways, I run a website now that uh, I try to I try to blog and, and put together tutorials for anybody who's trying to learn how to uh, get into the tech field. Um, because uh, it's taken such good care of me and my family, and I think of all those individuals, you know, down in the homeless community who, if they just had that skill set. Uh, you know, what they could do with it and where they could go. So um, the website is uh, ladavin.com. Um, that's L-A-D-V-I-E-N.com. Uh, um, yeah, you're welcome to check me out there. Uh, I don't do much social media. <laughs> Can't blame uh, you. Because, you know, it, <laughs> as a data person, I'll just tell you, be careful what you do with your data. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, leave it at that. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, and, uh, homeless services. Those are my, those are my things. Dude, that is awesome. That is awesome. Well, all right, guys, you heard him. Go check him out. Um, especially if you're interested in anything techie, uh, programming, um, robotics, all that type of stuff. Um, I know I've learned quite a bit from this wonderful man. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping to learn more, uh, but, uh, but go check them out. It's really, really great stuff over there. Um, and, of course, we'll have the links to, to there in the uh, description of this podcast. Um, remember, wherever you're listening to us, thank you. Um, you know, whether it be Google Podcast, whether it be iTunes, well, soon to be Apple Podcast only. Goodbye, iTunes. Um, but, uh, but thank you all. And thank you all for waiting through the wait period. Uh, we're still young here. Uh, at the Reapcast, but man, um, we look forward to a more steady schedule, hopefully, on my part um, as we go ahead. So, uh, so yeah, this has been the Reapcast, and uh, y'all have a good one. <laughs>